hope you have your Bibles today. I hope you'll join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're finding your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I uh, want to tell you a little story. Paul's talking about spiritual fatherhood in this section as he's relating that to servanthood. Uh, I remember uh, growing up when I was 15 years old, my dad took me to get my driving permit. How many of you had a parent take you to get your driving permit? Okay, good. So you better have had somebody take you. It's always good for your parent to take you. So my parent took, my dad took me to get my driving permit. I'm 15 years old. I get in there, I take it, and I don't know how, but to God be the glory, I passed it, Brian, on the first go-around because I didn't study. I mean, really, I just really got blessed uh, on that, uh, that time. And so uh, I got it. My dad was so proud of me. I can remember I walked out of the test at 15 years of age, had my temporary uh, permit in my hand, and he took the keys and he said, Hey, son, and I turned around and he pitched them to me. I called him and he said, Drive us home. I just got so, oh, this is going to be good. So I walked up to the car and I got into the car and shut the door and I put my seatbelt on and I noticed my dad wasn't in the vehicle. And I looked around, and he got in the back seat right behind me. I mean, right behind me. And I said, Dad, I said, you're not going to get up here and, and, and sit by me? He said, Son, I've been waiting for this day ever since you were just a little bitty boy sitting in a car seat. He said, No, I'm going to sit right back here, and I'm going to kick this chair all the way home. <laughs> There is nothing like a father's love. I'm going to be a better grandparent than I am a, fa a parent and a grandfather than I am a, a father. I, I've already made a commitment that uh, when I, my kids, when they get grown and they get married, and if they move away, I'm going to go to their house, Josh, and I'm going to take a shower in their shower, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to take their shampoo after I wash my hair, and I'm just going to stand over the drain. I'm just going. And then I'm going to take the conditioner and do the same thing. And then I'm going to take the soap. And I'm just going to let it run under the water until it's so soft I can just break it into a million pieces. And then I'm going to scatter it all in the shower. And I'm going to get out clean, fresh, and feeling oh so good. There's nothing like a father's love. Paul, in this passage of Scripture, is going to be dealing with the church at Corinth from a position of their spiritual father. Now, I want you to be mindful of this. He's not saying that he's above God. No, what he's saying is that God, through his great love, through his great wisdom, through his great care for the Corinthians, placed it upon Paul's heart to go to Corinth to preach the gospel and establish the church. And as many people as come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, they're in Corinth. What Paul is saying is, I'm the one that shared the gospel with you. I am your spiritual father. God is your heavenly father. But I'm responsible for you. I'm responsible for your growth. And it breaks my heart that you guys are splintering in the church, Paul says. It breaks my heart that you're allowing selfishness and pride and all of these disagreements that are within the church get the best of you 
And he says, I have a personal responsibility as your spiritual father to come to you and to help you and to correct you. And so we find here in this passage of Scripture in particular, Paul is going to be dealing with this issue of spiritual fatherhood and how that relates to this topic that he's in regarding servanthood. Remember what Paul has already said. He's already said that as true servants of God, you and I are cooperating stewards together. That is, we have our hand on the oar and we're rowing together. We said that word steward meant an under rower. We've got our hand on the oar and we're rowing and we're going in a particular direction. The direction we're going, on, the direction we're going in here at Maisel is loving God, loving others, and serving the world. That's the drumbeat by which we are rowing to. That's why it's so important for us to have our uh, Sunday school teachers meeting tonight. I want to make sure everybody's rowing in the same direction. Uh, v- vitally important. So we'll have that tonight and enjoy that together. But not only did he say that we ought to be cooperating stewards, that is, rowing together, but we also ought to be committed stewards. He says we ought to be committed to the church, committed to the things of God, committed to giving, committed to going, committed to telling, uh, committed to sharing the gospel, committed to Sunday school. Then we're going to go on and on and on. He says we need to be committed uh, in regards to our stewardship. I mean, he used that term, we say it many times around here, it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. And then what Paul did was he used himself as an illustration in regards to what he said last week. And he just simply said, look, uh, I, I want to be an example of somebody uh, that is a true servant of God that's cooperating and that's faithful. And we just t- tackled the topic, how does somebody respond when somebody does you wrong? And Paul deals with that. Well, you, you can look at uh, last week's uh, 9.30 sermon. Then we came at the 11 o'clock service and, and kind of cleaned up what uh, Paul said there in the previous text when he talked about this issue of pointing out personal pride and saying that there's a trusted humility that comes to a child of God when they're born again. That is to say that as a servant of God, we are not proud people. We are humble we don't come and stick our chest out and go, yeah, we had 3,500 people come out to that wild game dinner. Yeah, had over 100 people saved. Didn't we do such a good job? No, that's not us. In great humility, say, can you believe what God has done? Can you believe what God did in our, in our Celebrate Recovery? Can you believe what God did in our Sunday school? Can you believe what God did? There's a trusted humility that comes from God. And then he goes on here in this passage of Scripture to talk about this issue of a spiritual father, spiritual fatherhood. So if you found your place now, let's all stand as we honor the reading of God's Word, if you're able to stand, and then let us read the text together. Let's pick it up where we left off in verse 14. He says in the text, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. 
Now some are puffed up as though I would not come, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in the word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Verse 21, you can almost see him. Can't you? He's like, don't, me, don't, don't you make me come over there. Don't you make me. The only thing worse than hearing my mother say, you wait till your daddy gets home. The only thing worse than that is hearing my daddy say, don't make me come in there. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you're our heavenly Father. God, I pray you would open up the scriptures this morning. Speak to our hearts. Change us from the inside. The last thing we need is another sermon. Lord, what we really need is a word from you. God, this word comes directly from the word of God. So would you use it to change us from the inside? Draw us closer to you. Help us have a more faithful, consistent walk with King Jesus. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a disciple maker, Paul cannot help himself. He can't just sit there and watch the church that he founded stray from God as a result of their pride and selfishness. So under the instruction of the Holy Spirit of God, he pins this letter, and he has this responsibility to them uh, as the one that has brought them to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And what he wants to do here in this particular passage of Scripture, in this text, is he wants to point out the responsibilities that every spiritual father has. And by the way... There are spiritual fathers here today and spiritual mothers. What I'm talking about when I use the term spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers, I'm speaking about the people that are soul winners, those that win others to Jesus Christ. I think about that one that won me to Christ, my principal, Mike Davis, a man of God, loves God with all of his heart. I thank God that Mike Davis took the time to share the gospel with me. Man, I love Brother Mike. I value his counsel. If I ever had a serious problem in my life, I, I would consider him one to which I would call and say, Brother Mike, I, I need some counsel here. I'm not quite sure what, what to do. And the reason why, not because he was my principal growing up, but because he was the man that led me to Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I was sitting on the beach with uh, my wife, and I got a phone call, and I, I, I didn't catch it in time, and then there was a voicemail, and so I, I listened to the voicemail, and it was a young man that just simply said, Pastor Shane, uh, I don't know if you'll remember me or not, but he called his name, he called himself by name. He said, I'm serving down here in Foley, Alabama, just a few miles from where you're at. And I just wonder, could you just take a little bit of time while you're on vacation? I know you're with your family, but, but I just want to see you. Can I just see you just for a few minutes? And so I called him back, and we made arrangements to meet at, at uh, a little piece of heaven on earth called Chick-fil-A. And we met over there, and, and we came up to and hugged my neck. And he said, I just want to tell you thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Because of your witness, because of you, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ because you took the time to share with me. Do you remember the day I got saved? I smiled. I said, I do remember. He said, well, I've answered the call of God on my life now, and I'm a minister. I really don't need anything. I just want to say thank you for loving Jesus, and thank you for loving me. Dear friend, each one of us are spiritual fathers that have led others to Jesus Christ. 
And so there's a responsibility that we find here. What are they? Let me give them to you very quickly in the text. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice here is that a spiritual father has spiritual children. A spiritual father has spiritual children. Look at verse 15. He says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul simply says here, he gets right to the point in verse 15 by saying, uh, making a truth that's so relevant. It's as if he wrote it yesterday. He just simply says, listen, you have many teachers among you. That's his first statement. You have many teachers among you. There are many. Look at what he says in verse 15. He uses the term instructors. Now, if you're our guest today, I encourage you to write in your Bibles. It'll be a real blessing to you and the generations that follow you. It's not ugly. It's not degrading. It's not defaming the Word of God. It's simply learning from what God has to say. So I would underline the word instructors there if I were you. Why? Well, because it's a word that describes a teacher who was responsible for the basic training and moral upbringing of small children. It would be the same as a Sunday school teacher or a discipler or a mentor, a prayer uh, mentor, if you would, or a teacher-apprentice type relationship. Any discipler who is in your life who has instructed you after you receive Christ as Savior. Paul is saying here, you got a bunch of them. You got a bunch of instructors that are in the church that are talking to you now that you're born again. But here's the problem they're not saying the same thing. Some are talking from a position of philosophy, others are talking from a position of Judaism, some are talking from a position of hedonism, but they're not talking from a position of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we get the Word of God confused when we take verses out of context. I think about that verse over in Proverbs chapter 11 where it says, uh, where we say this, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. There's only one problem with that. The word wisdom is not in that passage of Scripture. Listen to what that passage really says. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. There's a vast difference between safety and wisdom. The word safety in the Hebrew means salvation. What the writer of Proverbs was telling us in that little proverb is, there is some safety in the multitude of counselors. There's salvation in counsel. Why? Because they're all saying the same thing. It ought to be vitally important that when you seek counsel, if they're not all saying the same thing, you better not take the counsel. You ought to take the counsel that they're saying the same thing. And I'm going to tell you this. Bless God, if they're not giving you counsel out of the Word of God, you ought not listen to them anyway. And so we find here that in this text, oh, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, you've got a lot of teachers that are teaching you. But watch what he says. He says the second thing in verse 15. He says, but you only have one Father instructing you. Notice the text. Again, notice the Bible. He says, yet... Have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. He says, you don't have a lot of fathers in Jesus, or a lot of fathers through the gospel. I'm the one that God sent to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. I'm the one that's responsible for your soul. I'm the one that has a watch care over your soul. You know that's what a pastor does? The pastor is the watchman 
over your souls. It's important and it's a calling that God has even given me that you know the truth and that the truth sets you free. And so Paul is reminding them that he was the one who God used to bring the gospel to them. And it was him that God used, if you would, as the head of the church that began this church and was their pastor. He's responsible to instruct them in the things of God. It is his responsibility as well as to send men of God to pastor the church so that they might give a closer walk with Jesus Christ. But their selfish pride had caused them to line up behind the preachers. And they'd say, well, I like, I like Paul's preaching better. And another one would say, well, I like Apollos' preaching better. And another would say, well, I like Cephas' preaching. And the other said, well, y'all are all wrong. I think we all just need to be Jesus huggers and just follow Jesus 100%. And what's the problem with that? And it's a true statement, but the problem with it was they weren't following Jesus at all. They were making a, a false god of Jesus, if you would. And they were doing their own thing, making Jesus who he was not supposed to be. And so Paul comes in and says, listen, you've got many teachers that are teaching you, but you only have one father that's instructing you, and he's instructing you through the gospel. Look at what he says here in the text. He tells us there in the verse number 15, the last three words, through the gospel. What is the gospel? He's going to deal more with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But he just simply says that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And he says, it's my desire, Paul is saying, to reproduce discipleships. The church ought to be a place of reproduction. We ought to get saved, grow up in Jesus Christ, go out in Jesus Christ, win somebody for Jesus Christ, bring them in for Jesus Christ, raise them up for Jesus Christ, and send them out for Jesus Christ. It ought to be a continual reproduction that we have here in regards to the gospel. That only happens through the gospel. So he tells them, a spiritual father has spiritual children. Would you let me challenge you today? How many people have you won to Jesus? Have you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone this week? Have you told anyone about the Savior? Oh, dear friend, as a born-again child of God, Paul says that I am teaching you through the gospel. I am your spiritual father. Can I challenge you? Why don't you be a spiritual father to somebody? Why don't you be a spiritual mother to somebody? Win somebody to Jesus Christ. A spiritual father has spiritual children. Number two, there's a second thing here in verse 16 and 17. Number two is a spiritual father sets the example. A spiritual father sets the example. Look at what the scripture says there in verse 16. He says, wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now if you mark in your Bibles again, I would underline that word, be ye, be ye. It's one word in the Greek. Its focus is on the word be. It's an active word. It's in the present tense. It means today you ought to be being followers. Today, presently, you want to follow Paul. It is in the active voice, which just simply means he can't make you. It's your responsibility to follow. 
but it's in the imperative mood, which is a command. What he's saying there is, you ought to think about this so vital. You ought to think about it. Am I following after Paul? Now remember who Paul's following. Paul's following after Christ. So what Paul is saying is, I'm walking in the footprints of Jesus as he's walking. You walk in my footprints, and we will walk together as we follow Jesus Christ. You follow me as I follow him. Dear friend, listen to me very careful. We ought to be followers of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is, do as I do. I'm going to be honest with you. That's a paradigm shift when it comes to parenting. Man, I come from old school, man. I I can remember growing up where my mom uh, and dad would tell me, don't do as I do, do as I say do. How many of you remember that, grew up that way? All the old people, God bless you. Do as I say do, don't do as I do. I can remember on several occasions my mother grabbing me, saying that my mom, bless her heart, she smoked. Uh, my dad smoked for a season. My dad uh, drank, and uh, my dad also uh, gave up smoking. He finally gave up drinking. He finally, thank God, he finally gave all that up. But I can remember a little kid. Uh, I, 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 listen, James Dobson did a study, and in that study, that study just simply said this: Children learn what they live. You can tell your kids all day long, do as I say do, don't do as I do. But if they see you doing it, that's what they're living, they're going to do it too. So don't be surprised. Uh, I, I can remember my daddy, uh, he quit smoking and he got some of those um, little dip pouches. You know, not, He wouldn't dip, but he got them little pouches. I don't even know what you call them. Well, anyway, so he's sitting in his chair and he had, a, he had an end table beside his chair and he kept, his, he kept that dip in there. Uh, well, he, he went to the bathroom or something, and I snuck over there, and uh, I pulled open that drawer, and I opened that can, and I got me one of them things. Why? I want to be like my dad. So I put that thing right there in my cheek. I, okay, I had it in there. I, mean, I was just a little fella. I had it in there. I'm like, Daddy. Dad had his spit cub right there. I'm not going to say anything else about that, but he had it right there. And so I said, i got to get outside before Daddy catches me. So I went outside, Brian, and I no more put my foot on the grass when my stomach turned. Oh, my stars. I got so sick, I threw up right there. And and my dad looking at me out the window the whole time saying, (laughs) Bet you won't do that again. And he's right. I never, I never did it. Never, ever again. But then I can remember my grandfather. I think I've shared this story before. My grandfather was a smoker, and he was uh, walking up the uh, driveway where he picked a mail up, and I was walking behind him. And watch this. I was walking in his footsteps. I was following him back to the house. He was smoking his cigarette. And he took a draw off of it, and he got done. He threw that thing down, and I saw that cigarette, and I ran up, and I picked that thing up, and I took a puff off of that thing. Man, I about died that day, too. I started hacking, and... A coffin, I ne- I ne- listen, I-, I never touched another cigarette a day in my life. Uh, but what, the point that I'm trying to make here is just this. Children learn what they live. They learn what they live. And you can tell your kids not to drink all day long. But I'm telling you, moms and dads, listen. If you drink, don't be surprised if they drink. Now you can tell them don't party or have premarital sex. You can tell them don't do this, that, and the other. You can tell them that all day long. But listen, if they're living in that, don't be surprised if they do the same. There's not a parent that I hadn't met that's born again that says, man, I, I just wish my kids, I, I hope and pray that they don't live the kind of lifestyle I lived. Well, dear friend, I hate to tell you, but they will live as you are living. 
And if you'll live for Jesus, bless God, they'll have a greater chance to live for Jesus as well. And so what Paul is saying here is, do as I do. Be followers of me, he says. Look at that word followers there in the text. In the Greek, that word follow is where we get our English word mimic. He says, I want you to mimic me. He's stating that the, I'm the spiritual example that I want you to follow here on this earth. Then notice what he says in verse 17. He says two things. Number one, the first thing he says it, it, do, that we see here is the product of Paul's example. The product of Paul's example. Look at what he says there. He says in verse 17, For this cause, because I want you to follow me, he says, I am going to send to you Timothy, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ. The one person who mimicked Paul throughout the course of his salvation to the end was none other than Timothy. Timothy was his son in the faith. We could go over there to 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse 1 and 2 and, and read all through that first chapter how Paul loved Timothy, was so grateful for Timothy, was his own son in the faith. And a lot of people say, well, he was a teenager. Now, I believe he was a little bit older than that. Maybe he was 30 years old, maybe in his 20s or 30s. He had some experience in his life. But God used Paul to teach Timothy, and Timothy mimicked Paul as Paul mimicked Jesus, and he became bold in his witness, and nobody else could deal with the problems of Corinth but Timothy. Timothy, go down there while I finish doing what I'm doing for Jesus Christ here, and take care of what's going on in Corinth. And off Timothy went there to Corinth, and he got there before this letter. So he's probably in the congregation while the, they're reading, while Apollos or one of the pastors is reading this letter, and there's Timothy with his hands in his pocket, knowing that chapter 5 is coming. Remember what happens in chapter 5. We're going to see it next week. Paul starts calling out the sin in the church as their spiritual father. He says, here's an issue that's going on in the church, and y'all ain't doing nothing about it. He said, there is a boy in the church, a young man in the church, who just married, who just married his father's wife. This ought not to be, and Timothy's going to have to deal with this. But there was nobody else that could deal with it like Timothy. Why? Because he was the product of Paul's example. Number two, let me show you a second thing here. In verse 17. We see the purpose of Paul's example. What's the purpose? In verse 17, it's very simply says there in the latter part of the verse. He says, as I teach everywhere in the church. Paul simply says, I'm teaching this everywhere in the church. I have a desire to be a discipler. I want every church to fulfill the Great Commission. And so I'm asking you to follow me as I follow after Christ. And Christ has given us this wonderful mandate to go out and to share our faith. And we are to do it, and I'm doing it in every single church. You see, this gospel presentation that he was giving was radical during this time. Jesus had died, he was buried, and he rose again. Judaism had been complete. The law had been fulfilled. And Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So he says, look, as your spiritual father, I want to set the example. And then here's the third thing and final thing very quickly this morning. A spiritual father exercises discipline. A spiritual father exercises discipline. In verses 18 through 21, we see the discipline that comes through Paul's spiritual fatherhood. In verse 18, he says, Now some of you are prideful. And you're so prideful, you don't think that I'm going to come. 
And look at what he says there in verse uh, number 18. Uh, verse 19. He says, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will. And will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. You see, he's saying that a spiritual father exercises discipline. And as he does so here, notice how he corrects the Corinthians. The first thing he presents is their guilty evidence. There's a guilty evidence about the Corinthians and their sin. Notice what he says. He says, and will know. He's saying, I'll know. Paul is saying, and when I come to you, he says, I will know. Not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. You see what he's saying there in the text? Paul is saying here that I know that you're prideful because your life has no power. I know that you're carnal because your life has no power. I know that you're selfish because you're not rowing together in the church and it's obvious your life has no power. A believer's life ought to be one of victory and power. Paul says, I will know. And I'll know because I'm looking at your lifestyle and your lifestyle is consistent with your language. The fact of the matter is you have your hand caught in the cookie jar. I love uh, chocolate oatmeal cookies. Anybody in here like chocolate oatmeal cookies? Man, I love those things. Those are some of my favorites. And uh, when I was growing up, my mama would make those. They're easy to make. And man, I can remember she'd make those and she'd make a whole bunch of them. And as just as a little kid, man, I'd want them. I'd want them for breakfast. I'd want them for lunch. I'd want them for supper. I mean, I love those things. And Mama would say, Shane, you stay out of these cookies now. They got to cool. And I don't want you touching them because you can only have so many. It's bedtime. And you know, I don't, you know I'm going to give you one or two. But that's all you can have. Well, Mama would go off to be do laundry or fold the clothes. And David, what I'd do is I'd sneak in the kitchen real quiet. And I'd reach my little hand up on that counter and I'd feel around. And I'd feel them cookies. And I'd take off one, two, three, four. And I'd sneak back off to the bathroom and I'd shut the door. And I'd be in that bathroom and I'd be eating them cookies. And I'd eat them and eat them and eat them and eat them. It was the perfect plan. But there was one fall. Christopher, I didn't look in the mirror before I left the bathroom. And so I had chocolate all over my face. And I could remember my mom yelling from the kitchen, Shane! Shane! Now bless God, it's bad when your mama says your name. But how many of you know how really bad it is when they say all your name? Dustin Shane Robertson? Oh, I could just feel, man, I cringed inside. I'm in deep, deep yogurt. Yes, ma'am? Get yourself in here right now. I go walking in that kitchen. She said, did you eat them cookies? No, I didn't. Did you eat them cookies? No, ma'am, I didn't. I didn't eat them cookies. Lance did, my brother. My brother was four years younger than I was. He's still in the crib. <laughs> him. Not, it wasn't me, Mama. It wasn't me. And I'd look up at her and she said, Son, the evidence of you eating those cookies is all over your face. You ate those cookies. So now, you know what you're going to have to go do? Go get your daddy's belt. You lied to me. 
I'm going to have to discipline you. But mama, I, 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 I didn't mean to. No, no, son, no, listen. You lied to your mama and you disobeyed. I was going to give you some cookies. But you chose it upon yourself to go get you your own cookies. And now not only are you going to get a whipping, you ate them four cookies, and now I'm going to have to give you some Benadryl to go to bed. You can't do that today, but that was a real blessing in life growing up. <laughs> Mama would knock me out. The guilty evidence. He says, listen, I know you're guilty, and here's how I know it's all over your face. You say that you love Jesus, but the fact of the matter is you're walking at a, di at a guilty distance. You, you may be close to the cross, but you're far from Christ. You know, that was what was happening with those that were gambling at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying on the cross. Man, they were people that were close to the cross, but they were far from Christ. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, there's this guilty evidence. There's no power in your life. There ought to be power and victory in a believer's life. Number two. So not only does he present the guilty evidence, he also presents the genuine truth. The genuine truth. Look at verse number 20. Notice this. He says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He, he just simply says here in the text that God's people reflect the kingdom of God. And faith by faith, the result of that is that we live righteous lives. And in living righteous lives, we can't support pride. We know that we cannot be right with God and be pride-filled. We know that we cannot be, be right with God and be filled with selfishness. No, listen. In fact, what he's saying here is if you say that you love Jesus and there's not a true humility on your life, but you're puffed up, you're prideful, you're selfish, you're carnal, there is no power in your life. That's what he says. Uh, we find here in this text that a person's true spiritual character is not determined by the impressiveness of his words, but by the power on his life. I was uh, at the Commerce football game Friday night, Go Tigers. And while I was there, uh, during halftime, I was talking to one of our dear, precious church members. And he said something to me that really uh, sparked my attention because I was studying this passage. He says, I don't know if you realize this or not, Pastor, but, but when you just walk in the room, I have a, a deep sense of peace that everything's going to be okay. I have a deep sense that we're all right. Dear friend, you understand that that's not me. That's the power of God. And the power of God that rests on my life is the same power of God that rests on your life. And the only way to be bold for the kingdom of God is to first and foremost understand the resting of the power of God that's on our lives. And so Paul is just simply saying here, listen, in regards to this truth, he's saying the truth of the matter is, is that it's not about words, it's about power. The power of God that rests on your life. And so he says with this truth, he gives them the third point here. Notice what he says, he gives them the guided question. The question then lies as just simply this. What will ye? Which way do you want it, church? Shall I come to you with a rod 
or in love. And in the spirit of meekness. You know what meekness is? Meekness is power under control. He says, I do have the authority by God to come and to take the rod and wear you out. He says, but I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it that way. I want to come in love. I want to come in meekness. I want us to work this thing out. And the only way to work it out is to get right with God. Remember what he said in verse 14. Don't lose track of the context. He says, I am coming to you not to shame you. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to verbally shame you. What I'm trying to do is warn you as beloved children, if you continue down this path, if you continue to reject God, if you continue to be carnal, if you continue to be prideful, if you continue to be selfish, if you continue to live your life the way that you're living it, not only are you going to split the church, but you're going to ruin your testimony and ruin in your life so grow up he says grow up in Jesus and he says if I need to bless God I'll get a hickory and I'll come over and I'll shake things up a little bit how many of you had to pick your own hickory growing up all the old people I had to pick my own hickory I didn't like it some people say you know what a hickory hurts worse than a belt that might be true but I dislike the belt let me tell you how much I dislike my daddy's belt my dad was a master belt whipper-outer. I'm telling you what, he could say, Dustin, Shane Robertson, don't do that, and he could, -da 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 -da. We could whip that belt out quicker than you can blink. I was so frustrated with that belt that I waited till my parents went to bed. And after they went to bed, I snuck into their room while they were sleeping. Truth is a true story. My mama may be watching this. She said, he really did it. I went in that room, and my dad had his belts hanging on the door. And while they slept, I took daddy's belt that he whipped me with. And I snuck out of their room. And then I went to the kitchen. And I climbed, pushed a chair up to the stove and climbed up on the stove, and I cut on the boiler. I got off that chair and moved that chair out of the way, and I reached up under there, and I opened that broiler drawer up, and I laid Daddy's belt in there, and I said, Rest in peace. <laughs> I said, That ought to be done in 20 minutes. I almost burnt the house down. <laughs> Guess what happened? Yeah, I got a whipping. Got a whipping. You would think I'd learn. I mean, you really, you'd think, man, but listen, I was from Alabama. I'm hard-headed. I'm 43 years old. I just found out that my family tree really does fork. He's up on me now. He's up. My daddy bought me a Spider-Man doll for Christmas. I'm one of them plush toys. He had silver eyes. I loved Spider-Man, except for when it was dark. When the lights went out, it looked like Spider-Man was looking at me and wanted to do me harm. He's supposed to be in my room to protect me. But he looked funny. And so I thought, you know what? That broiler did such a good job on Daddy's belt. <laughs> so I got up that night, and I walked over to the Spider-Man doll, and I picked him up, and I said, I'm tired of you looking at me. So I went there in the kitchen, and I'm telling you what, it was worth it. It was scared. I was scared. It was worth it. I pushed that chair back up. I cut the broiler on, and I got down, pushed the chair out of the way, opened it up. And I said, rest in peace. And I went in my clothes are gone. 
almost burnt the house down that day too. You know what happened? I got another whipping. I didn't put anything else in the broiler after that whipping. I learned my lesson. Paul just simply says simply this. Church, I want you to learn your lesson. And I want you to learn it from the position of grace and love and mercy. So he says there in this passage of scripture, he says, Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? He said, the choice is yours. Might I say this? When it comes to our relationship with God, He wants to come to us in love and meekness. But I promise you, if you're a born-again child of God, and you keep walking in your own way in your carnality, He will, as you, you're a child, you're His child, He will chastise you. He'll discipline you. He'll carry you out back. And he will wear you out. And you thought, I thought the whipping from my daddy was bad with the belt. No, I'm going to tell you what. The whipping from the Lord is worse. And what's bad is just simply this. He so desires to extend grace and love and mercy. You know what the major problem is when I won't get right with God? It's the same problem that the Corinthians had. Pride. I want to be right. Dear friend, it's better to be in a right relationship with God and just rather think that you're right all the time. So let me ask you this question in closing. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you are today? Think about it. Are you just as consistent in your walk with the Lord today as you were in years past? So well, no, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was a teenager, I walked closer to the Lord than I am today. Then, dear friend, you may be close to the cross, but you're far from Christ. Might I say to you what Paul is saying to you? Come get right with God before he takes you behind the woodshed and wears you out. You might be here today and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You don't know the Heavenly Father. And if you don't know the Heavenly Father, then listen, your destination is hell. Hell's a real place where real people go. Good people go. Religious people go. But the Bible says that hell was a place that were prepared for the demons, not for you and I. So dear friend, in order to escape hell and receive heaven, there had to be a sacrifice. That sacrifice was Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. That's the gospel that Paul preached. That's the gospel that we preach. And if you want to be saved, if you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die, the Bible says 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. You can know it. You can know it. Why? The Bible says you can know it, but you've got to come to Jesus Christ. You must trust Christ as Savior. You can't join this church and go to heaven. You can't get in that water and go to heaven. You can't get to heaven because your dad was the founding father of a church or was a pastor. No, the only way for you to get to heaven is come by the way of the cross. You've got to come to Jesus. Mom, have you come to Jesus yet? Dad, have you come to Jesus? Dear friend, listen, you can't get to heaven any other way but to come through Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to trust Christ as Savior. Then right where we're sitting today, would you just do what the Scripture says? I've been pointing out the Bible all morning long.
Would you do what the Scripture says? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You'll be rescued. There'll be salvation. You will not go to hell. Say, Pastor, I don't want to go to hell. Then why don't you do this right where you're sitting? Why don't you say something like this to God? Heavenly Father, I don't want to go to hell. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to save me. I will repent of my sin right now. And I will trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.